You are Locked On Marlins, your daily Florida Marlins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. The fish are floundering a little bit right now. They've lost their last three. But the good news is they are still in position for a playoff spot, which they really easily could not be if other teams behind them were playing better, such as the Phillies, who the Marlins definitely owe a thank you to. Or actually, they owe a thank you to the Nationals because the Nationals have really been helping the fish out big time sweeping the doubleheader against the Phillies, and the Phillies now have lost four in a row, and that's why the Marlins are still a game and a half over them with just several games to go here. Five to be exact, the Marlins' magic number is three, which seems attainable, which of course should be attainable for a playoff team, but the five games, several of them are going to be tough matchups. Max Fried today, who's one of the better pitchers in baseball right now, Ian Anderson tomorrow, and then three games against the Yankees, whoever the pitching matchups are, I guess is a little bit up in the air right now because the Yankees could do a few different things to set themselves up better for the playoff series, how they want to go. But still, it's the Yankees. Their offense has been just firing on all cylinders right now. So you really just put yourself in a tougher situation than you needed to if you're the Marlins. And I've been saying this for a while now, and you're probably sick of me saying it, but this is why I was saying the Marlins need to make these games the least important possible. And unfortunately, they're very important now because the Marlins have not been able to win the ballgames that they should have been winning against the Nationals and the early series games against the Braves that were better matchups for them. That's okay, though. They're still in a position to make the postseason, still a game and a half over the Phillies. But it's going to be tough. And if the Phillies get hot, it's going to be even more tough. But the Marlins are still in a very good position. And that's what you got to focus on right now. But hopefully... The Marlins are able to put together a couple quality wins over the next few ball games because it won't be easy. Ian Anderson has really settled in since that tough start against the Marlins. Let's hope that the Marlins are just more comfortable against him than other teams because they did rough him up a little bit in that one outing. That's really been his only bad outing the entire season. And Max Freed, forget it, he has been locked in and just when he's healthy, it's just lights out. I love his curveball. I love the way he pitches, but of course, not against the Marlins. The Marlins overall, there's been some good and bad. I would say if you look at individual trends, this is a huge start for Sixto today. Massive, massive start. And this is something I'm going to briefly touch on because I said I was not going to talk about the postseason roster until they make the postseason, and I'm not going to do that. But something I was seeing that was being discussed a little bit on Twitter is, you know, who's the ace, or not ace, so to speak, but who's the guy that you've put out there game one? And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, Sixto is trying to make this big bounce back from his worst outing of his young major league career. He's only human. He's a rookie. He's shouldering a lot of responsibility for a kid that just came up. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. But the Marlins can't be leaning on just such a young pitcher that is just getting his feet wet in the major leagues to really carry them. But unfortunately, they have to to a degree. That'll be part of the game one conversation that I want to get into. But his last start, I'll briefly touch on some of the things that stood out to me. I had talked about it a little bit in the previous podcast, but he was really missing his fastball locations. You know, you were seeing catcher set up down, especially with the two seam, and he was missing up. And that was a big problem against guys like Eric Thames because the infield was shifted all the way over to the first base side. And it's so much easier to shoot a ground ball the other way, as you would 
probably be able to assume if it's higher and he just shot it the other way and there was nobody on the left side of the infield. Those things are vital and that's why I'm a little tentative when it goes to shifting with Sixto on the mound at times because he does struggle with the fastball locations and that is the whole point of shifting is the pitcher needs to hit his locations or the shifting is mostly a moot point. It's not going to work as well, might not work at all if you're not hitting your spots that is why the Marlins, you know, they, they love to shift. They shift as much as any team in baseball, and that's fine. You know, I, I have a mixed feeling on shifting in general, but you got to do it case by case. And if Sixto's not hitting his spots, if you see that early on, he can still compete. But I don't know about the overshifting and everything when he's not hitting his spots. There were a lot of instances, especially in the one really tough inning for him, where he was just missing. And that's going to be a problem for him because we, we've talked about it in the past, right? The fastball is great. But he doesn't quite get the swing and miss that you would assume he would get. So if he's not hitting his spots, he's going to get squared up against righties especially. And righties hit him really well in that last outing. And at times they've hit him really well this season. I will say the Braves in the past stacked a bunch of right-handers. And he was able to really carve them up pretty well. He didn't strike out a ton in his last outing against the Braves. But he was able to pitch efficiently, get ahead, and get them to get themselves out. We'll see if they stack righties again. I would assume they will. In that last start, though, for Sixto, where he struggled against the Nationals, the most glaring thing to me was that he got away from that four-seamer again. The four-seamer that he likes to elevate, he hardly threw against right-handed hitters, and he was going more to the two-seamer that is great in the bottom part of the zone, especially to lefties. But again, we've talked about it in the past, about why that pitch can end up being a more desirable pitch for a right-handed hitter to hit, especially when you miss your spot. And he only threw the four-seamer just a couple times, literally only twice against right-handed hitters. And normally he throws it around 25% of the time. So you wonder why he got away from that and what, what the game plan was and what the reason was for that. Righties were four for five in that game off of that two-seam or the sinker that, you know, that's not going to play. And that's his bread and butter pitch. I understand that. And I'm not saying he shouldn't throw it against righties, but he's definitely got to mix it up and work those fastballs off of each other. I know I'm beating a dead horse because we've talked about that in the past, but I was so happy to see him doing that now, improving and using the two fastballs off of each other. But he got away from that last start. And for whatever reason, you know, Sixto knows himself better than, you know, I do, of course. But there's something, there's some reason why he got away from it there. And obviously he paid the price. So we'll see how he adapts and how he adjusts because that's a big thing is he always seems to be adjusting after each start. And that's why I'm not going to panic on Sixto. But I will say this is a huge start for him because this is the last start before the postseason if the Marlins make it. Sixto really needs to get some momentum into the postseason. It would be really tough to have two bad outings and then rolling into maybe a vital game one or game two start that he might be starting in. And he all of a sudden has two really bad appearances in the back of his mind as he goes into the biggest start of his life. So that's definitely not what you want. It would be great to see some momentum building here with a quality start. Speaking of momentum, Corey Dickerson. I've been hard on him this year, I will say. But he is heating up quietly, and that is huge. This is a, the perfect time, the most important time for him to heat up. So he can make me eat my words if he can continue what he's doing right now. His last 15 games, 340, 386, 434 slash line. Yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more power. But he's serving kind of a leadoff type of role for the most part right now. And that's fine. If, he, if he's going to do that, if he's going to hit consistently and run into some baseballs here and there, that's fine. If you can put up that slash line, I will have no complaints for Corey Dickerson. The outfield play, let's hope that you know it's not a problem in the postseason. But if he's hitting like this 
That is huge. I will say Jesus Aguilar has started to bounce back a little bit. Seven for his last 22, but where's the power? Seven singles in his last 22 at-bats. Look, I'll take the fact that he's hitting the ball better. He has had some scorchers that just went right at people. So uh, the positive is that he is definitely finding a swing again. And I think he's breaking out of that little slump. I think slump is a little aggressive of a word even. But still, he was in a little bit of a lull, and now he's bounced back quite nice. So that's also huge. Dickerson and Aguilar have to really get going. Rojas has slowed down a tad. Anderson has slowed down just a tad after he really heated up. So those guys need to get going a little bit. But Dickerson and Aguilar can kind of take the pressure off of them. And that's how it is with baseball teams, right? Some guys are going to be in a little bit of a slump. And that's where the other guys in the lineup step up and take some of the pressure off of them and pick them up. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Indeed. Indeed Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only need to pay for what you need. And you can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. So you will not get Wei Yin Chen. You can get out whenever you want. Plus, Indeed offers powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need. They have over 3 million businesses that they've done this for in the past. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners $75 in free credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. So I'm quickly going to make the case for Sandy Alcantara to be the potential Marlins Game 1 starter. And I'll tell you why. It's pretty simple. I talked about it a little bit before, but Sixto Sanchez is special. Don't get me wrong. This kid is just something incredible and is going to be one of the better pitchers in Marlins history when it's all said and done. I really believe that. But we're forgetting for a second that this kid is 22 years old. He's only made a handful of starts in major leagues. But he's been so good that we almost have lost sight of that. At least that's what it seems like. And we have these really lofty expectations. High expectations are fine. I think he has high expectations for himself. But when you have the national media finally paying attention to a Marlins pitcher, you got Pedro Martinez talking about him. You got everybody talking about Sixto Sanchez. All of a sudden, we forget that he's just a kid with a handful of starts in the major leagues. And he got roughed up against the Nationals. He got the reality of... The major leagues, they adjust to you. They figure you out a little bit, and you got to adjust back. He seems like a guy that's very comfortable adjusting on the fly. But I don't know if I want to put a kid in that position in game one. A kid that doesn't have as much experience, does not really have the track record to show us that, you know, if he's struggling a little bit early, can he settle in and keep the Marlins in the ballgame? Sandy Alcantara seems like he is a walking quality start. It seems like every start, he's turning out six innings, one run, five hits, two walks, and five Ks. I think you could almost pencil that in every single day at this point. And that's what you need in in a game one to really set the tone. And you can make the argument that, you know, in a three-game series, all of the games are equally as important. Obviously, game three wouldn't exist if you lose the first two. But game two is just as important as game one. You can say you want to set the tone and it's harder to win two in a row. Yeah, I, I get all that. But if you're down... 1-0. 
Game two is the most important game ever. So that that's really the thing is you can make the case either way. Sixto is going to have to pitch an important game regardless. If you want to try to shield him as much as possible and pitch him game three, that's a possibility. I think with the potential that he has, the potential that he could actually just be so on that he pitches, you know, a complete game shutout, you put him game two. You don't want to have the potential where you lose in the playoffs in a three-game set and Sixto Sanchez doesn't tow the rubber. That can't happen. So I, I want him in game two. But I think game one, you need somebody that is more consistent, that has more of a track record, that's more comfortable. I know Sandy hasn't pitched on the on the highest stage like that yet. But I just feel more comfortable with a guy that is a quote-unquote veteran and seems to be blossoming before our eyes, seems to get better and better every time he's out there. Look, if Sixto goes out today and carves up the Braves over seven, eight innings, and have one run, two run ball, maybe we can revisit this. But if he has another average starter, especially if he struggles a little bit, I think it's a no-brainer. Still, I would just go with Sandy in this situation because you have the liberty of having two really, really good pitchers to decide from. And, and don't get me wrong, Pablo is a great option too in Game 3 or even Game 2. But give me the more electric guys. I know Sandy's not going to rack up the strikeouts a crazy way, but sometimes Sixto doesn't either. I think Sandy's more consistent. He hits his spots more. He gets more ground balls. That's a situation you want more, especially against a team like the Padres, potentially, that have so many really good hitting right-handed hitters that clearly Sixto can struggle against at times. Sandy seems like the guy you want to set the tone with. We'll see it with this last start for Sixto and the last start for Sandy and see how they look going into, hopefully, the postseason. It's going to be tough here for the Marlins. Two really tough pitching matchups against the Braves now, but the way things are going, the guys that they're supposed to crush, they don't. And then sometimes they beat the tougher guys. They beat Scherzer, but they can't beat Bryce Wilson. They can't beat Nate Eovaldi. It's wild. They can't beat Eric Fide. So we'll see what happens, but I've been very frustrated with what seems like a favorable pitching matchup every time the Marlins squander it. I will say they rise to the occasion against some of the better pitchers, but that's just not going to fly. They need to take advantage of that stuff. So let's see if they can do that. In the future, they might have some decent pitching matchups against the Yankees deciding, depending on how they decide to handle that being how the Yankees handle that, whether they're clinched, whether they're going to make a push for the division. It seems like the Yankees are going to still be pushing for wins in those final three ball games with a chance to hold on to the division and overtake the Rays. But that's still, regardless, they're a tough team to beat. They're not just going to turn over, even if they did already clinch and even if there's no implications for them. So the Marlins have their work cut out for them, but fortunately, they're in a better spot. Magic number is three. Let's see if they can make it two tonight. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.